Hi, you're listening to Sometime in Long Island City, and this is Eric Hathaway bringing you the second podcast in the series Artist Portrait, featuring Queens-based singer-songwriter Janine Tirana. Janine's one of the four singer-songwriters who together formed the Queens of Queens who performed at LIC Bar during May. This interview was recorded before then. I talked to Janine about her life as a musician, her likes and her influences. Okay, Janine, tell me a little bit about yourself. Where are you from originally? I grew up in Buffalo, New York, mm-hmm. and I left there when I was 19 um, to go to Florida for a little while, partially to thaw out because Buffalo was very cold growing up. Um, but I also went there for, uh, for, for school. I majored in music education at Southeastern College in Lakeland, Florida, and that's where I graduated from. Okay, so when did you come to New York? I came to New York in 1997. After, so you've been here a while. Yeah, I've been here a while. Yeah. Um, and I lived in Brooklyn, New Jersey, and Queens so far. But I have to say Queens is my favorite mm-hmm. of those three. Okay. So have you got musicians in the family? I have people who sing as a hobby. My mother and my father both sang to me as a little girl, you know, sang me to sleep. My dad played a little guitar and would sing folk songs. Uh, but neither of them did it professionally. They just enjoyed singing. And my grandfather, who came from Sicily, um, he did an awful lot of singing, and he had this beautiful, booming tenor voice. Um, but it was, again, just a hobby. Um, but he sang. He, he was pretty much known for his singing. Whenever he went somewhere, people would ask him to sing, and he would gladly do it. Um, and my sister sings, but that's also a hobby. She's got a really beautiful voice, and she plays the keyboard. So there's a lot of people who are musically inclined. Um, and your grandfather's the one who you sing O Solo Me for. That's right, yeah. 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 That was his signature song. Yeah. So what music did you grow up with when you were uh, at home with your family? My mom was always listening to music, and she liked the singers, um, Karen Carpenter, um, Barbara Streisand, Barry Manilow, um, Captain and Tennille, Helen Reddy, Diana Ross. Those were all people that were in constant rotation. When you listen to that kind of stuff, did you sneak away sometimes and listen to some of their music? Was it, did it attract you as well? I, yeah, I loved the music at the time. I was always singing those songs. I, I remember my first time recording my own voice was singing Barry Manilow's Copacabana. I loved that song and I memorized it back and forth. And then I had, my dad had a tape recorder and I remember recording myself doing the entire song. Um, yeah, I, I loved the music as a kid. Her name was Lola, she was a showgirl With yellow feathers in her hair and a dress cut down her lair She would merengue and do the cha-cha And while she tried to be a star Tony always tended bar across the crowded floor They worked from eight till four They were young and they had each other Yeah. 
was escorted to his chair He saw Lola dancing there And when she finished He called her over But Rico went a bit too far Tony sailed across the bar And then the punches flew And chairs were smashed in two There was blood and a single gunshot But just who shot who At the Copa Copa Cabana The hottest spot north of Havana So what was the first recording that you ever bought? I believe it was Elton John. Um, I went on an Elton John kick. I remember seeing him on The Muppet Show and hearing Yellow Brick Road and falling in love with that song. So I bought a couple of albums of his, um, which later my mother made me get rid of because some of the songs were about cocaine. Um, white lady, white powder, and she didn't want me listening to that. I was probably uh, younger than ten, <laughs> so, so. Uh, but that was my first. I believe that was my first album was Elton John. Oh, 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 
did you start to play an instrument quite early? My first instrument was recorder, probably in third or fourth grade. And then I started playing clarinet right around that time, too. That was my very first instrument. That's an interesting choice for a first instrument. I think I probably wanted to play the flute first, but they were all taken. And then I ended up with the clarinet. And I really loved the clarinet after a while. I loved the sound of it in an orchestra, and I enjoyed playing it a lot. I played oboe for a little while, too, which is much harder. And the reeds are much more expensive. But yeah, it was a good. Um, a really good instrument, something I enjoyed. So do you still play now? I don't. I, th I thought about getting one just to have around, to fool around with, um, but I don't have one at the moment, no. You now play guitar and keyboards? I play a little keyboard. Okay. Can you see a keyboard? <laughs> I play chords. <laughs> I'm working on that, yeah. So when did you pick up a guitar and start to play that? I've, I've made several attempts over the years. The first time I think I was in fifth grade and I took a guitar lesson and my fingers couldn't really do anything and I found out later it was my my dad's guitar the action was so high the strings were a couple inches off of the fret so the reason why I couldn't play it was because the, the guitar neck was warped but I thought I thought it's just too hard of an instrument there's no way I'm going to be able to do this um, and then later in uh, in high school I picked up the guitar again I started taking some lessons and I bought an electric guitar, yeah. which is somewhere, it's right over there. It's an imitation Les Paul. And then, um, you know, I, I kind of wanted instant gratification. I was learning technique and not really feeling like I was getting anywhere. So I put it away again and then um, maybe about seven years later, I picked up the guitar again and started with two chords, three chords, and then just kept progressing from there. And so when you went, when you studied music, that was at university. Mm -hmm. Were you not playing the guitar then? No, was I wasn't. After that? Mm -mm. Okay. I was majoring in voice, uh, vocal performance. I studied opera music. I was. I had to mandatorily take uh, keyboard. I had to take um, basic piano lessons, and I had to take uh, a string course. Um, a, win a woodwind course and a percussion course um, just for basic technique, but um, but the main focus was voice. Okay. So did you have voice lessons before that? I took voice lessons for about a year in high school to get ready to audition for music schools because um, there's certain songs you're supposed to sing <laughs> when you're auditioning. Um, Okay, so what pieces would they have been? One was from Handel's Messiah. Um, the the first school I auditioned for, I was belting it because that's what I knew how to do. And after my audition, the guy said, "How dare you belt Handel's Messiah? Who is your voice teacher?" And I told him who my voice teacher was, and he said, "Well, you tell him. He's not teaching you proper technique." Oh. 
After that, I got into uh, University of Buffalo for vocal, vocal performance and started learning opera and really enjoyed it. At first I faked it because I had no idea what I was doing, but once I started learning some technique and, and learning some arias, I fell in love with it. So did you have a career as a singer in your head at that point? I did. I don't know if I saw myself as an opera singer at that point, but I... I Theater was always my first love. That was what I loved in high school. And I was in a rock band too, so I, I kind of 
did that sort of thing, but I thought in my mind, if there, if I had a career, it would be uh, in musical theater. So that's kind of straight music. I think I, I talked to some people who went to jazz school mm -hmm. and they have learned to improvise, right. and whether it's a voice or another instrument. Mm -hmm. When I understand from people I know who've done classical training that they don't generally learn to improvise, and it's it's more straightforward than that. So how was that for you? I enjoy the structure of um, learning technique and learning those kind of technical songs where you have to sing it exactly as it's written. Um, but it took a while after that to be able to relax with music. It was such a, a technical way of, of doing things and it took a little bit of the fun out of it, a little bit of the feeling. So you, coming from that kind of a background, you really have to start swinging, for me anyway, I had to start swinging in the other direction to get back to a place where I could feel the lyrics and and have um, an emotional connection with the music as opposed to just technical skill. So when did you first start to write your own stuff? After I moved to New York uh, and I started playing guitar a little bit um, and I was taking some acting classes and I, I had dabbled in writing but I just would start songs and never finish them or, or write some lyrics and never have them go anywhere. But the first song I wrote, I was taking this acting class and I got kicked out of the class because I, uh, I was doing a work study type thing and I missed the mandatory maintenance. I was supposed to do two hours of assisting or something and I missed it and thought I could make it up and turns out you couldn't. And they, I got into class and they said, oh, I'm sorry, you you've been kicked out. And so I went to the park that day and I was just kind of didn't really know what to do with myself and I wrote the song and um, when I got home I played it for a friend of mine and I said, I think I just finished a song. I, I think I might, I might even like it. So I played it for them and, and after them hearing it and saying, oh, you know, that's not bad. Um, and being validated, it opened the door to maybe 10 more right away. Okay. Yeah. All from that same kind of emotional experience? Yeah, it was, they were, they were all fictional at first. It was all, um, the first one was, let me see if I can remember the name of that one. It was called Happiness, and it was about trying to find happiness in different things and about life slipping away and, you know, we need to find happiness right now. So it was kind of um, appropriate at the moment, but the songs that would come after that, the first few were, fictional about love or um, you know things like that so that was yeah that so was that fun. sort of negative experience of being thrown out of the class was actually opened the door for you to be able to use your emotions in a creative way yeah I think so yeah. tell me about the, what you're doing now are you you I know you're performing and you're mm -hmm. writing your own stuff and recording what else are you doing um, Let's see, I, I've been dabbling with uh, computer software, trying to get rough demos um, in my apartment and take ideas, rough ideas, and see where they go, where they progress with home recordings. Um, I've, um, I do some baking, 
That's something I should talk about because <laughs> mm-hmm. that's something that happens a lot here. <laughs> um, the The last wedding cake I made was a few months ago, but that's what I really like to do are the wedding cakes because, um, you know, it's a big challenge and, and you have about a, I usually give myself about a week to do it. Uh, but every cake is different. Everyone has different preferences. So it's kind of a way to be creative, but you also have to um, meet the specifications of the bride. And um, so that's, it's something I found, I find very relaxing. Um, and there is a stressful element, of course, if you, if you have a deadline and a, you know, the cake has to look beautiful. Is that something you've trained in as well? I've taken some courses. I've had a lot of, uh, experience baking just because I like it and I like to you know try decorating in different ways but I did take uh, a class in in cake decoration um, cake baking chocolate tempering so yeah it's something something I really love to do um, and completely a, different from music yeah completely yeah, different it's still creative I guess <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah when did you start to perform your own stuff I I was doing open mics in the city and I didn't feel comfortable on guitar yet. So a friend of mine suggested me using a boombox and karaoke tracks. And the one song that I did write, he made a track for me of that song. And and so I would go to these open mics and oddly enough, someone, it was at the Orange Bear Bar, the owner there said, would you like to book a show? <laughs> and I just looked at him and I said, really? Um, yeah, I would love to. Because I knew it would stretch me if I had a monthly show where I had to put a whole set of music together. I would, uh, it would force me to, to do that. So I had a monthly gig there and I would use, in the beginning it was me with the boombox and karaoke tracks and a few of my own that um, somebody made for me. And then slowly I started to incorporate the guitar in there. I would do one or two on guitar and then try to try to increase it every month until I had the whole set on guitar. And so, when did you then bring in other musicians? That came uh, a few years later and it was kind of by accident. I, um, I met a guy named Scott Dennis at a party one night and he was a drummer and he said, yeah, we should jam sometime. My brother plays bass and I said, okay, and I didn't really think it would ever happen. And so we started jamming every week, uh, every Wednesday, I think it was. And um, I'd teach them my songs. I would just play the chords and, the, and they would come up with something. So before you know it, we had plenty of songs to choose from. And I said, I'm going to start. I was doing solo stuff at the time. And I said, I'm going to start booking us. Is that okay? Would you guys like to play out? And they said, yeah, well, that'd be great. So... Uh, we started playing um, in the city, and and then a friend of theirs played lead guitar, and he started playing with us too, and they became the Howl Brothers. Um, the second album features all those guys, and it was just something that happened, you know, out of a weekly jam session, and we still practiced every week for for probably two or three years, and we'd do gigs at least once a month around the city, and then we recorded the album together. Cool. 
So you played me once again Strung me like a violin Like you pray you lead me on Lured in and strung along With your sad and lonely song Alder stopped to play your part Sipping wine Discussing theater and art Filthy hands and empty heart Looks convincing in the dark Moving in to make your mark about some of the things you were listening to when you were a kid at home. What would you say were your influences as to the kind of musician that you are now? There's been many uh, along the way, and I, I think when I hear something, it all goes into the vault and I, I draw from it. Um, I think around my, my first album, I was listening to a lot of Nick Cave, and I can when I listen to it, I can hear it in there a little bit. Um, but there's people, Linda Ronstadt, I know she's, she's influenced me a lot. And Karen Carpenter, um, I love both of their voices. So I feel like um, they have a lot that I can draw from. Emmy Lou Harris is someone I started listening to later on. And um, her voice is so hauntingly beautiful and nothing I could even emulate. But, um, but kind of that style, I know some of that has gotten into my music. Um, Johnny Cash, Willie Nelson. Um, there was a band that I was listening to for a while called Travis. They're a Scottish band. They they have the really simple three chord songs. 
Um, so I think on the new album, there's a few songs that were influenced by them. Um, there's, there's so many people that, Bob Dylan, for sure. Bob Dylan is a great study in songwriting just because he's, he plays by no rules. And so if you think, oh, I can't write a song like this, it's all verses. Well, yes, you can, because Bob Dylan had one with 13 verses and no chorus. So, um, yeah, Leonard Cohen, he's another one that I love. Uh, and I love listening to other people sing his music because his music is so um, different when other people interpret it. It's, it's amazing. Do you sing any of his stuff? I do. Um, Tower of Song, I'm Your Man, Hallelujah. Have you recorded any of those? I recorded Hallelujah. I've never released it. Um, but I do have a version of that that I, I should put out there. Now I heard there was a secret chord David played and pleased the Lord. You don't care too much for music, do ya? Now it goes like this, fourth, the fifth, the minor fall and the major lift, the baffled king composing. Shoot somebody 
So these are quite significant singer-songwriters, mm -hmm. and with a bent towards, oh, apart from Dylan and Dan Cohen, the, 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 the American country tradition. Mm -hmm. Which is that what you'd call it? Yeah, yeah. I think so. Americana type mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and I, when I, when I hear you talk about Karen Carpenter, I can understand that because you've got a strong, um, sort of clear, sort of perfect kind of voice, you know. She wasn't a rough, harsh, she didn't belt it out. Right. She sang very clear. She was quite a perfectionist as a yeah. musician, wasn't mm -hmm. she? Are you a perfectionist as a musician? I think to a certain extent I am. There's there's a lot I can let go, but there's some things when I hear them, I think, oh, God, I, I can't bear to listen to that. I need to change it. Uh, I, was, I did the whole first album in my apartment um, on an 8-track recorder, and it took me eight months, and I think a lot of that was re-recording things and trying to make it perfect. But at some point, you have to let it go, because uh, you could really, you could spend years obsessing, and it's good to an extent, and then you have to just let it be what it is. And mm. a little imperfection is okay. Mm. And if you make it too perfect, you lose an edge sometimes. Yeah, that needs to be there. exactly. So what are you working on now? Right now, I've been doing an, a lot of writing, and I've been doing a lot of writing on the keyboard. Um, someone suggested that to me to get a different, to, to come at songwriting from a different approach and to maybe get a different type of sound. So I've been doing a lot of that, and I think initially when I start writing, I immediately judge the song and think, oh, you've already got something like that. Oh, you've already, you know, oh, it's another whatever kind of song. And so I'm, I'm trying to really just let whatever comes out, come out. And, and the goal is to record an EP this year, um, maybe four or five songs. But before that to write maybe 50 and choose the best five. <laughs> so you're, you're looking at me in shock, but I've, I've probably written two, one to two songs a day whenever I sit to write. And I'm not saying they're all <laughs> worthy of a recording, but, but um, so there's, 
There's probably 25 right now that I've gotten out, um, so I'm, I'm halfway there. Only March. <laughs> it's only March, yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm trying to be a little more selective with what makes the recording um, and see just see what happens, experiment a little. So you're saying someone suggested to you that you write with a keyboard. Mm -hmm. So when you, say when you wrote that first song sitting in that park, was it just a melody? It How was. did you write it? What did you do? Yeah, at that point it was, it started out with just a melody in my head and I added the guitar part later. Um, and that happened a few times where a complete song would come out and then I'd add music later. But nowadays it seems like I, I fool around on the guitar a little bit or the keyboard and then start to write something. Or maybe I have a lyric idea and then um, the music's, you know, the keyboard or the guitar is always accessible so I can hear what it would sound like with the accompaniment. But um, there are those rare occasions where it just comes out with, without any instruments around. And those are really nice. So how much would you say you use your strict musical education at university in the, in the way you write songs now? That's a good question. I think chord progressions, as far as that goes, I, I fall back on that teaching but at the same time, I try not to only use that because I don't want to be limited to to what I've been taught. Um, as far as vocal technique, I I still do you know vocal exercises every day. I still go back and sing those some of those arias, not all of them, <laughs> but I try to keep my voice you know as limber as possible because I I believe it is like a muscle and you should you know use it every day. Keep it Cosa na urlata e sole na serena dopo la tempesta bell'aria fresca pare già una festa che bella cosa na urlata e sole
I still read music, probably not as quickly as I would in those days, but I, I try to keep a handle on as much of it that's valuable and also deliberately let some of it go so mm. I can have more freedom. So when you write a song, do you notate mm. it? Do you write it down in staves and notes and key signatures and things? No, usually I make a rough recording on my, uh, I'm using my phone now because it has a nice recording device on there. Um, occasionally I'll write down the chords, just just the name of the chord, um, but I usually don't note anything out. So when you do work with a band, is generally you do how you described working with those guys, that you play them your song, show them the chords, and they create stuff around it? That's usually how it goes, yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. all right. Say so if you were driving a long distance and you had a CD player in the car, what music would you put on there? Um, I'll tell you, I've been doing a lot of running lately, and I, I have certain things that I are my go-to songs on the, the MP3 player. I really love The Killers, and it happened after they were really popular and then kind of died down a little. It's, um, and Brandon Flowers, the lead singer, has a new, I, I guess it's not even new anymore. He came out with an album in 2010 or 11, but I just recently downloaded it. I don't know what it is about him and the music that he makes, but I really love it, and it's fun, and it not really deep or anything like that, but it just makes me feel good. Um, Florence and the Machine, I've been listening to uh, their new album. I, I downloaded her album maybe two or three months ago, and I listen to it all the time. I, I love the album. Um, who else? Angels and Airwaves is another one I've been listening to. That's a good one to run with. Um, some of the band members from... Um, Blink 182 and the, and the songs are have a really positive message but they have a good uh, rock melody too and Muse uh, I don't know if you've you're familiar with Muse but it's kind of a mixture of Queen and Radiohead so it's this some of it is beautifully orchestrated with you know a full symphony and very dramatic voice, um, I don't know the lead singer's name, but it's really high drama rock music, but it's, and his voice is amazing. Um, it reminds me a lot of Queen, but a little less fun than Queen, a little more edgy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's what I'm listening to right now.
Did you ever go to listen to opera or oratorio or classical singers? That's a good question. Actually, um, last year, a friend of mine turned me on to the uh, the $25 tickets at the Met. 
and I got to see four or five operas last year and it was fantastic. That was my first time going to the opera in New York after all the time I've lived here and I loved it. And for, for a little while I was actually thinking of starting to study opera again because I, uh, I was really enjoying listening to that, the music and feeling like I wanted to be challenged again with that, that kind of singing. Yeah, I, I love the opera and I hope I get to go again this year. So. so which operas did you see last year? I saw Rigoletto, um, Don Giovanni. What other one? I want to say La Boheme, but I don't think that was one of them. There was one, oh, Simon... Bocanegra. Yes. <laughs> I, could, I didn't think I was going to remember that no. one. Yeah, I saw that one. Um, and I believe I saw Tosca. So it was a good, it's a good year. So do you speak Italian? I speak a little Italian. Um, it was a mission of mine to learn Italian, and I learned a, a pretty good amount, so I can understand more than I actually speak. But I know it's in my blood, and I know at some point I want to master the language, if that's possible, and go there and really dig into the culture and the, the language and the music. Is there one question that you would you always wanted to have been asked by someone interviewing you and you never got asked it? I don't think so. I think one one thing I think about a lot is just people I like to collaborate with. Mm -hmm. And I have visions of of I wouldn't say a music festival, but big concerts with great musicians and all performing together. Kind of like what we're doing with Queens of Queens, but um, you know, something I would like to see is, is evenings of, uh, of performances by great musicians instead of just one person being the focus, but a musical review almost of yeah. different musicians and everyone collaborating, which I think is kind of happening mm -hmm. on the Queen scene. Mm -hmm. Very much so. I get, I get yeah. a real sense. <laughs> hearing people like Niall and Warren Malone and Casey Black all mixing in with each other yes. and Brandon being in so many different bands. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's quite a collaborative scene. And, it is. Uh, I love which that. is nice to see. And I've seen it with the bigger stars, but it tends to be in the White House or <laughs> <laughs> on the stage of the Apollo for $1,500 a ticket. Right. <laughs> yes, but that, that's, I think that's a good spirit. And I think it's the spirit of the moment, that kind of collaboration. It was certainly the case with bands and the music scene where I was in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. that people would, would sit in and bands would be made up of different groups of people who were in different bands. Yeah. And it's exciting. It's, uh, um, it's, it's the future. It's, it works against the selfishness and works against the star system in a way, doesn't it? Yeah. Although you need to make money as a star, I suppose. Do you earn a living from music? I don't. Um, mm. I have done it in other ways, working on cruise ship, um, and I used to work at a lot in Russian clubs as the uh, top 40 singer there. But as far as my own music, um, I have yet to do that. And that is, it's something I'd love to do. At the same time, I don't want to get so caught up in the money-making end of it that I, I lose my enjoyment. It's a, it's a delicate balance. And when I find it, I'll, I'll let you know. But, um, but it would be, that would be a really great day that I could... 
the Russian club? <laughs> I used to work in Brighton Beach <laughs> in right. the Russian community. They, they love live music and um, for a long time they would have full bands there and have a singer representing a different style of music. They had Russian singers, they had American Top 40 singers, they had a Latin singer. So, um, and they'll, they'll pass you around, you know, when they're done with you, they'll send you to the next place. So I had a, about a six year stint working on the Russian scene. Um, which is a great um, learning experience for me on so many levels. Um, but yeah, that, and, it, and also, you know, I was mm. able to earn a living doing that mm. for the most part. Mm. Do you so, earn a living doing anything else? Have you got other work? I do. I, I am in a wedding band right now. Um, we, don't, we don't do a whole lot um, at the moment, but, but we have some future gigs lined up. And I do cake baking occasionally, wedding cakes, and I can be seen in Times Square occasionally selling tickets for some off-Broadway shows. Mm -hmm. And I do a little cater waitering. And I think that's it. So it's like you're putting together a whole wedding package really, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I can take care of every, <laughs> every aspect of the wedding mm -hmm. business. I do some um, some coaching too, some vocal coaching, and um, I've been trying to get into that a little more. I I used to not enjoy it so much, but I'm finding that I really love it now. That's um, like singing lessons. Yeah, singing yeah. lessons. Speaking voices as well. Sometimes um, there through the Russian community, I met uh, a guy who records a lot of Russian dance music, and sometimes they need help with their English pronunciation. So I. Um, I'm kind of on call for that. Whenever he needs me, I come over and, and help. So I'll just do a, a demo of the song for them and then coach them one-on-one -on -one mm -hmm. how to say the words properly in English. Mm -hmm. So I keep thinking up new questions. What, what do, where do you think the music industry is going with the decline of, of recordings as a means of making music? That is a great question, and I, I think about that a lot. Um, it seems like the big guys, quote unquote, are not really as powerful as they were anymore, and, and a lot more people are making music that probably couldn't in the past and selling it, which is great, but at the same time, making a living is, um, it seems to be a little uncommon. I, I dabbled with the idea of giving the songs away, and I've tried that to, in hopes that maybe people would um, download other songs and pay for them. Um, but it seems like that is not the way to make money as a musician is based. So I think if I had to guess, cause I don't have firsthand experience, but I think probably selling a song would be the best way to make money as a, a musician, either selling it to a movie or another artist who, who maybe would make it more popular or um, yeah, that's, that seems to be... So that would make sense. Have it, get it putting your music out there in the hope that one person says, I really like that, I'm going to put it into a movie or... Mm -hmm. Or, or a commercial or something. Yeah. I don't really know, though. I don't know where we're headed. And, mm. and it's so easy to get music for free. Mm. I try to make it a point to pay for music when I really like it because um, I think it's important to support artists, but 
but I know that that's not, you know, you can find it just as easily for a free download somewhere else. Mm. Yeah. So it's a tricky thing right now. Mm. Yeah, it is. I can see that. And I see you guys performing for tip jars at mm -hmm. the LIC bar, and I think, well, you know, they're not going to go home with very much, particularly if it's a if it's a large band on Mondays when it's a six-piece jazz band. You know, yeah. they might get what eighty bucks if they're lucky. That's yeah. not a lot. Yeah, it's hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when you play somewhere like Rockwood, or do you get paid for that? No. The general consensus in New York is you you don't get paid for the gigs. You make either tips or if you have a, a large crowd. You can work out a percentage of the door if you're taking a cover mm. charge. But the places I play generally don't have a cover, which I like. I like it better that way because mm. it makes it more accessible to, to friends and people who just want to listen to some music. And then if they want to put that money in the tip jar, they do mm. that. Um, but I think in other places in the U.S. and abroad, it's more likely you'll make some money. Yeah. Uh, New York is so inundated with musicians and so many of us are willing to do it for tips or for yeah. free that, um, you know, if that's not okay with you, then they'll just move on to the next person. So mm. um, if you want to play in New York, pretty much that's yeah. been my experience. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk a bit about Queens of Queens. Okay. Where did that come from? Well, there's so many fantastic female singer-songwriters in the Queens community, and at one point, Gus Rodriguez came to me and said, we should have an all-day event featuring these women. And so we kind of collaborated on the idea and came up with the name Queens of Queens, and he had a list of women that we should invite, and I had a list of my own. Um, and we put, in, we put on a whole day event at LIC Bar, of all these female singer-songwriters from Queens. And then uh, we've done it every year since then. Last year we decided to include not just singer-songwriters, but musicians. We had a, a guitar player um, and a couple other, you know, musicians. And they were all Queens-based female artists. And then um, through through seeing some friends of mine, Shelley Bouchon, Michelle Riganese, and Little Ember's Teresa Hoffman, we were all kind of supporting each other musically and showing up to each other's shows. And I said, we should all do, do a night where we all sing on each other's songs and kind of rotate. And so everyone seemed really keen on the idea. And, and it was one of those things where it could easily have said, oh yeah, every time we see each other, we should do this. And then it never happens. But, um, Individually, we all had our role in making it happen. Uh, one person booked the date, the other person set up a rehearsal, so everyone was really excited about this working out. And the first time we did it, um, it was a two-hour set at Spike Hill, and we, we decided to learn four... We each got four songs, and we had the other girls, while we were singing, back us up, either vocally or instrumentally. And so uh, the first, the first set was two hours, and we each got four songs, and we rotated um, every song to make it interesting for people, and also to give us individual time. But um, 
but be able to collaborate. So it, the first show went really well, and and right after we got off stage, Gus came up to us and said, "There's a spot at the living room, um, December, I believe it's December third. You guys up for it?" And we were all really excited to do it again, and so we did it again there. And now we have a residency coming up in May, where we'll be there every Wednesday, which gives us a lot of opportunity to learn new songs, try some new things, and we might even be playing different instruments, mm -hmm. uh, keyboard, clarinet. <laughs> clarinet. I never thought of that. That's not a bad idea. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Michelle Riganese really wants to learn how to play drums, so <laughs> maybe she'll make her drumming debut on one of these <laughs> Wednesday nights. But um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Mm. What is it about the four of you, do you think, brings you together. You talked about lots of other singer-songwriters from the area, mm -hmm. and now it's just the four of you that this will be. You've had two gigs, and now you've got this residency coming up. What is it about the four of you that pulls you together, do you think? I think for each of us, first of all, we really love each other's music, so it's a joy to learn some of these songs. Um, we all love singing backup vocals um, just as much as being the front person so I think um, you know our strong love of harmony is something we have in common we also seem to be very supportive of each other and want to be involved as much as possible in what's going on in the music scene so it, it seems like um, just a good combination of of people and I think it came at the right time I've always wanted a sense of community in in the music business and I feel like in Queens with that whole with all the female musicians and and male musicians as well and Gus Rodriguez kind of pulling the whole thing together starting to find you know those core people that really make it happen and uh, I feel like those three girls are really involved in that scene and and are very supportive. So I think just as a group, we click. We have so much in common, and our music is different enough to make it really interesting for each of us to learn each other's songs. Um, so yeah, it's just a good combination. Mm. So thank you very much. Oh, well, thank you. That yeah. was fun. Lovely day. 
Listening to Sometime in Long Island City, a podcast from the blog of the same name, celebrating the talents of artists in Long Island City, New York. In this artist portrait, I featured Janine Tarana and I played Copacabana, sung by Barry Manilow, Elton John's White Lady White Powder, Catherine Robin singing O Thou That Tellest Good Tidings from Zion from Handel's Messiah with John Elliot Gardner conducting the Monteverdi Choir and the English Baroque soloists, and I Belong to You by Muse. Songs from Janine were Bloody Valentine from her album My Creation with the Howell Brothers, O Sole Mio, a live recording on her first album Just Me, See the Light from her latest album of the same name, and Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah, an unreleased recording. Sometime in Long Island City is a non-profit-making community production.